Uh, we've been going through the book of Galatians and just uh, this, this law or this letter about, you know, adhering to the law and, and uh, going with uh, accepting the grace that we're given from God and just uh, the Galatia, uh, church in Galatia, how they were struggling with that and how some people, some Judaizers were people who, who upheld the 613 laws of Moses were trying to um, impose the, the uh, old covenant laws on, on those Christians. Uh, and really we've been talking kind of a, conceptually about grace and, and today we kind of turn the corner and Paul really gets into kind of a vision of what it really means to live a life in the spirit and what that really looks like. Um, so if you open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to be picking up in verse 16, Paul writes this, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. Amen? So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. I was thinking about this, and I think a lot of times... When the word sin is used, we automatically put up our defenses or, or we even kind of remove ourselves from it because sin's kind of an abstract word and a, lot, and a lot of people don't know what it means. And I was trying to think about this and how to make this a little more real and, and a little bit closer to home. And we know that, that uh, God is love, right? And, and we know that that God is generous and we know, you know, kind of this idea of love. And, and really we know that true love is selfless. And if true love is selfless, uh, then selfishness is the seed of all sin. Kind of this idea. And, and I believe if you replace the word sinful with, with selfish, um, it's really a, a humbling experience. Because I think it, I think it hits a little bit closer to home. Uh, I, I wanted to give you an example. I was uh, doing this in just my own personal uh, study. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sin or your selfish nature craves. The selfish nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the selfish nature desires. And if you really think about that, you know, elevating our own selfish desires over the vision that God has for our lives and for his vision for us interacting with community really is, is this, this, this seed of sin. And all sins really come from selfishness. I just want you know, I just want to do this, or I don't care about that, or I, I, it's unfair that they're doing that. I want to do this, or I don't want to adhere to, to God's word or, or instruction because I want to do something else. And 
And I think that when we look at the word uh, sin, that maybe for, you know, it would be helpful uh, for you and it's helpful for me to say, you know what, switching that word out with uh, selfish. Now, just a warning, if you're doing it on the computer, uh, which I was doing, uh, I, my autocorrect changed it to, sh to shellfish. <laughs> and that's not nearly as helpful. So, it uh, completely changes the whole meaning of scripture. So just a little warning out there. Uh, yeah, I was actually looking at my notes and I'm like, this says shellfish. <laughs> In, in verse 19, uh, uh, Paul continues, he says, When you follow the desires of your sinful or selfish nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, ah! selfish ambition, dissension, division, enviness, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. That's just a couple of them. Just Let me tell you again, as I've told that I uh, have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I think a lot of times in our selfish nature, in trying to make ourselves uh, feel better, that we have constructed as a culture a saying that really diffuses the pressure to live really a holy life, uh, an elevated life that's worthy of holding the, uh, carrying the name uh, that God has given us as followers of Christ or Christians. And I think that that statement is, well, I'm not as bad as fill in the blank. It's such a self defeating statement. Because, you know, you know what's never been said? Well, I'm not as bad as Mother Teresa. Right? That's never been said. It's always somebody who's rotten. And when did that person in your life, I mean really, what we're saying, when did, did, when did we give our moral standard, them the moral standard of our lives? I mean, it's really quite frightening if you think about it. If I'm not as bad as this person, and you can, you can fill in the blank, that, that what we're really saying is, well, that person's the standard, and I, hey, I'm a little bit better than the standard. This is a very, very self-destructive and dangerous practice. You see, morality is fluid. You don't believe me? Look through the course of history. This statement, well, I'm not as bad as, has, has caused uh, a really, from a biblical standpoint, a lot of immoral uh, and uh, violent and dreadful behavior. The Aztecs did things that, that, that we find unconscionable, right? That that uh, many, many tribes and, and, and even uh, in the history of the United States with, with, with slavery, things that like just the morality of that time that, that they made it okay, well I don't own as many slaves as somebody else or I treat my slaves better than, than so and so. But we never, but 
circling back and, and saying, you know what? When we have a moral fluidity of who we're around, our bottom, well, there is no bottom. I was reading a book, uh, and they were having a discussion of morality and talking about the Nazi movement. And uh, whenever uh, uh, Nazi Germany is, is discussed, uh, it's always really real to me. My, my mother uh, uh, is a Jew, and uh, she lived in Europe during that time. Much of my family on her side uh, uh, were sent to camps. They lived in Poland. Uh, my mom... Uh, had friends who escaped, and I, I got to have dinner with them, who had uh, the tattoo of their numbers on them. And so whenever whenever uh, Nazi Germany is, is discussed, and, and, and really the, uh, the treachery of, of what happened during that time, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a real thing to me, not that I personally experienced it, but just knowing that my family did, and hearing my mom talk about the stories of the fear of the Nazis coming and, and taking them and, and bringing them into a camp. But in this discussion of this book, uh, they talked about bewaring of the good, beware of the good Nazi. You see, the reality is Aztecs or slave owners or, or Nazis, if you ask them, they would say that they were a good Nazi. That they weren't nearly as bad as, as people who, who ran the camp in Auschwitz. Or maybe even a guard in Auschwitz would say, well, at least I'm, I'm not running the gas chamber. Or maybe the guy running the gas chamber would say, well, at least I'm not giving the order. You see, when we say we engage in this mindset of, well, I'm not as bad as, we are, we are actually giving our, our, our moral barometer over to a, a fluid thing that, that really, it just depends who we are around, which will decide if we are good and evil. And I think that God wants something more for us than that. And that's why I think that we need to base our, our, our morality and our worldview based on something that is timeless, that uh, based on the word of God that is given to us. And in that nature that uh, Paul continues on and says in verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit when we, when we uh, abide in the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. We were uh, discussing this in a growth group that I'm part of in Thomasville. And somebody in the growth group said something uh, when we were talking about this. They actually, I gotta be honest with you, struck me funny. I even laughed a little bit. Uh, uh, but after I really thought about it, I, I really thought it was an amazing uh, statement. She said that she uh, actually in her day planner, uh, she writes, live in the spirit. Like, if she puts it on her calendar that she's going to abide in the spirit that day and live in the spirit. And it struck me funny because living in the spirit in a lot of senses is uh, so spontaneous, right? 
you know, it's like a, we have words for that, like prompting from the Spirit, right? How do you put that in a calendar? But, but the re reality is that she's setting herself up, you know, for, for a day that she's going to experience God. It actually made itself more real to me when I was kind of thinking of the opposite. I used to talk a lot about calendar sin, uh, calendar selfishness or calendar sin. And, and uh, if you've been around here uh, any length of time, you've probably heard me talk about it. But uh, it's something, you know, it's a, it's a sin, a self-destructive behavior that we put on the calendar that we know is going to happen. Like, I can't tell you how many conversations that I've had uh, and somebody's like, you know, I, I engaged in whatever self-destructive behavior again, you know, behavior that's not honoring to God or, or my community or, or healthy for me. And, and I'm like, well, how, how did that happen? And they're like, well, I went out with so-and-so or did this or I went to this place. And I'm like, so you put it on your calendar, right? And they're like, what do you mean? It's like, well, if you know when you go to a certain place and hang out with certain people that, that you are going to engage in self-destructive behavior, you're actually scheduling this failure. And the same is true on the flip side, and I love it so much better on the other side, is filling your, your calendar with things that, that are the fruit of the Spirit, that things that you know, are going to promote more love in your life, and more joy in your life, and more peace in your life, and so on and so on. You know, Jesus talks uh, about kind of this idea of, of living in the Spirit and being promoted with, uh, by love in the Spirit and the opposite of elevating the facade of the law. He writes uh, in Matthew 15 and verse 6, he says, And so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when, you, when he prophesied about you. For he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. For they teach man-made ideas as if they were commands from God. I was thinking about this and, and really this idea of... of Facade uh, righteousness is nothing uh, new. I mean, it's been going on for thousands and thousands of years that, you know, people uh, build this, this kind of self-image, right, of, of who they are, but, but they do it for alternative motives that have nothing to do with encountering the one true living God. And I was... Uh, uh, having some waffles the other day, and I was making them, and I, and, I, and I started thinking about this, and, you know, waffles without water, it's pretty boring stuff. I mean, wa waffles without water is just dust. Like, if you came over to my house, I said, hey, I'm going to make some waffles, right? And you came down, and Chuck, you came, and I said, here you go, here's your, here's your waffle. You enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, maybe if you're good. So, you know, this idea of, you know, right, you know, uh, waffles without water is just dust. Much in the same way that, that righteousness without the Holy Spirit is just hypocrisy. And 
I think one of the, the most beautiful things is this. Uh, that in John 7, toward the uh, uh, pinnacle of Jesus' ministry, on the last day of a festival, he shouted, stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. <clears throat> For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit, who would be given to everyone belonging to him. And water is, is this image of, of life in, in scripture. And truly, when you, when you add water to the dust, that, that you come up with batter and you, you come up with something much better. But the interesting thing is, to me, about, about waffle mixture, with water, that, that you, the waffle doesn't have to try to be a waffle, right? That, that all of the water, it, what it does is infuse all of, the, all of these, these things and it, it changes it into something golden brown and wonderful, right? <laughs> Paul continues on in verse 24 saying this, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. I think here we kind of get at the, the crust of the matter where Paul is really saying, look, this, this is really where the, you know, the rubber meets the road or, or, or how it all kind of works. Is this idea that, that we are righteous because of our encounter with the one true living God. We don't have an encounter with the one true living God because we are righteous. Right? That, that so often I think that we get it backwards. That we, that we say, you know what, I'm going to get good enough and I would, I'm going to work my way to God. And that's the story of, of all religions, every religious system except Christianity. Christianity says, you know what, God loves us so much that he is going to come to us. In verse 25, Paul continues this, Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. And I think that this is one of the biggest paradoxes of the Christian faith. That the closer you get to God, the greater you realize the magnitude of his grace. And one of the kind of the, the almost cruel jokes is if you think you're righteous, you're not. Not because we can never be holy or we can never be set aside for God's purpose, but we serve such a loving God that the more that we get to know him, the more that we realize how much more loving we need to be and can be. But we cannot, in our own self, make that happen. 
It's by spending time and being transformed by him that we become righteous. In Mark chapter 2 and verse 17, talking about those who have become conceited in the law. And he was speaking to the Pharisees, but the Pharisees are still around today. It's true. There's 21st century Pharisees who, who think that because they, they go to church every Sunday or, or you know, because they've never had a drop of alcohol or they tithe or, or you know, wash the pastor's car or something like that, <laughs> that somehow that, that they can be puffed up and like, I'm so holy. But the reality is you can do all those things without God. You can do all those things without a transformation. And what Christ says is you're a hypocrite and, and you have gotten your reward in full. You see, erecting a facade of righteousness is not the goal. The goal is to be transformed by the one true living God and reflect his righteousness. Jesus was hearing about how puffed up and conceited the Pharisees were. And he, when he heard this, he said, look, healthy people do not need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Waffles without water is just dust. Righteousness without God's love is just hypocrisy. In order to have beautiful golden brown waffles, That smells good. <laughs> In order to have that, you have to be transformed by the living water. And one of the cool things about uh, those of us who are, who are followers of Christ, that not only, in my view, not only do we get to experience God's righteousness and, and be able to experience the vision for his life, but we get to do that in community. And if you come to my house and you have waffles, I am not going to serve you Aunt Jemima or Log Cabin or whatever other, you know, just kind of fake abomination St. Mark that, that, that no, you're going to get something completely different. You are going to get real maple syrup with Nutella and peanut butter mixed in it. And for our analogy here, this is E3. Not only do we get to experience the living wa uh, water of God's righteousness, but we get to do it in community with people we care about and laugh with and have fun with. And that's just the topping on something that, that is just greater. 
There you go, Chuck. I would never give you that. Would somebody else find it? We are on a journey, and I pray for our community that 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 we we reject the idea of trying to manufacture a facade of righteousness. That it is my prayer; it's always been my prayer for our community that we will truly experience uh, interaction with the one true living God. And it is through his living water that we are transformed and become more like him. you guys pray with me? Dear God, just uh, thank you for this time together. I, I just uh, thank you for... Uh, always speaking truth to us uh, through so many different ways. You are truly a God who seeks us. And we are, you are there if we just care to listen or look. That is your desire to be in relationship with us. We love you, man. In your strong, holy, and passionate name, Jesus. Amen. Mm -hmm.